Homelessness is perhaps the city's most intractable issue. Got a snapshot into Asheville's homeless population. Every year, a group called the Asheville Buncombe Continuum of Care joins forces with the community to collect data on those experiencing homelessness. Last year, they counted more than 630. That includes about 200 unsheltered people. I'm Matt Pikin. Today on The Overlook, I talk with Sarah Hanoski, the city government reporter with the Asheville Citizen Times. She's a prolific journalist who has extensively covered the varied angles of homelessness in Asheville. Encampments are really public-facing. The clearings are really public-facing. I feel like they cause a lot of distress for all parties, whether that is someone in the encampment. Also, the public is often pretty vocal about encampments, for better or worse. Implementing an encampment resolution policy is one of the first priorities. In today's conversation, we break down efforts by city and county officials to stem the tide of the city's growing population of the unhoused. We also go through a report calling for major structural change in how local officials handle the issue, and we talk about efforts to convert former hotels into permanent housing for people who need it. We're approaching tax time, and Hannah says a lot of freelancers miss out on a potentially big deduction, mileage. You have one car and you use that for personal stuff. Advertisements don't sound like ads on the Overlook. They sound like conversations, because they are. For how people can keep track of mileage that is deductible versus mileage that isn't. It's such a dumb answer, but yeah, get an app. <laughs> If you market a business, or even yourself, make a great impression by advertising on Asheville's hottest show. You can be a sponsor of The Overlook for as little as $75. Ask to learn more by messaging me at matt at podavl.com. That's matt at podavl.com. I began my conversation with Sarah Hanoski by asking what we know right now about the state of Asheville's homeless population. We have limited resources when it comes to data, but the point in time count, which is held annually and it acts as a single night census of the population, is our best data reference when it comes to the population itself. And I think one of the reasons this has been such a hot topic in Asheville over the last couple years is because we're watching that number tick up. Over the last 10 years, it's been mostly stagnant from around 500 to 600 people experiencing homelessness. At any given time? At any given time. And then when the pandemic happened nationwide, it exacerbated the issue, particularly when it comes to unsheltered homelessness, which is the most visually apparent to people. That's people who are sleeping on the street, who are camping, who are sleeping in their cars. And so as it took on more space in people's minds as they're walking around the city, it becomes something you're putting more pressure on public figures and elected officials to do something about. As your story pointed out, there's been an increase of 21% in unsheltered peoples just since 2021 to account that was in your story of 637 people at that point in time count beyond the fact that we were in a pandemic, what's the connection there about why we were experiencing more unhoused people? Well, the number of people experiencing homelessness went up 21% total since 2021, but unsheltered homelessness doubled. So it went up to 637 total, but from 116 to 232 in unsheltered homelessness. When we think about our region particularly, it's always going to come back to affordable housing. Since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic in March of 2020, rents have risen 41.7%.
The National Alliance on Homelessness did a study of Asheville. They presented the results of that study in January, and it found that Asheville is more expensive than 98% of other North Carolina cities. And we know that we have the highest rents in the state. Rents nearly doubled, and we experienced a near doubling, it seems, of our unsheltered population. Are we lacking in the ability to deal with that kind of a flood of an increase in our numbers? Right now, it feels like the affordable units just aren't there. The city names priorities for the coming year. And last year, ahead of that budget, two of their priorities that were new to their list were houselessness and affordable housing. So the city has put these front and center of priorities for them to be working on that year, trying to find really substantive policy changes that are going to give people more housing, are going to help address the houselessness crisis that's going on in Asheville. And I think the report that came out in January was part of them seeking that solution. Talk about this report. Is this what you're talking about? There was an agency that was commissioned to do a big study of what's happening with the unhoused here and what we're doing about it. Is that the study you're talking about? Yeah, so the city of Asheville and Buncombe County contracted with the National Alliance and Homelessness, which is a Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit. The national leaders in this conversation the work of the Alliance began in Asheville in June, and they gave their final report, about 54-page report, on how Asheville should end unsheltered homelessness in January. They did it in the Cherokee Center, and it was a packed room. It was overflow. People are eager for these answers. From what I understand, some of the findings that came about, or at least that were released in this study, were fairly obvious to anyone who's been in town here, and there might have been some surprising things or some details that were surprising. What surprised you in terms of any details that came out in this report? Yeah, I think that's definitely been a critique of the report, if you can call it that, is this is a housing first model. People are like, we knew we needed housing first. But it lays a roadmap, and it's up to Asheville and Buncombe County to follow that if that's what they choose to do. Some of the most surprising things, maybe were some of the tangibles that we saw. There was a number named of how much shelter capacity the Alliance determined that the city needed. They said we need 95 beds of emergency shelter. That's low barrier, high access shelter that would help address specifically unsheltered houselessness. Of them, 60 were for single adults, 25 were to be wrapped around with more services, particularly for people facing, experiencing substance issues, mental health issues, and then 10 of them were to address families specifically. On the surface of it, 95 beds doesn't seem like a lot. Are we talking about 95 beds in existing shelters, or was this 95 beds that we need in new places that we haven't identified? That's a really good question, and I think that's going to be one of the questions a lot of people are asking. I asked Josh Johnson this. He's the senior technical assistance specialist for the Alliance. Johnson told us that the goal is for the beds to turn over every 150 days to create a consistent flow. It's not going to be a one-to-one -one for everyone that needs beds. He said they are looking at, they're recommending non-congregate or very small congregate beds. So they're not saying build a monumental congregate shelter. But ultimately, how the city and the county are going to address that need for beds is going to come down to the city and county, or specifically 
the Homeless Initiative Advisory Committee, the lead governing body for Asheville's continuum of care. You're getting to something I wanted to ask about, and there are some other details in the findings that you put in your story which I want to ask about, but let's get into this Asheville City Buncombe County Continuum of Care Board. One of the things I found fascinating, and it wasn't detailed in your story other than it said they were recommending a move away from Asheville City and Buncombe County being responsible for appointing members to this 16-person leadership board. From what I understand from your story, City of Asheville gets to appoint eight people, Buncombe County gets to appoint eight people, and the recommendation from this consulting firm, the Alliance, said you should not be appointing these people. Why is that? And I was, that wasn't clear in your story about why they were recommending that the city and county not directly oversee the appointments to, these, to this board. I'm not sure if it means they're not going to have any appointments, but I think the Alliance wanted them to move away from having all of the appointments. Specifically, they kept saying they don't want this board to be situated under the city or county. Why is that? Johnson made a comment to the effect that it became unclear where the decisions were being made. Right now, what I hear from a lot of homeless services providers is that the system feels siloed. Everyone is doing their own work, but they're not communicating with one another. I think if this board had more voices, or more specifically, voices that were appointed by other agencies or coming from other agencies and not just appointed by the city or county, that it would ensure perhaps some more community involvement. That ju it just seemed really interesting to me, and it seemed to be, from the way it was articulated in your story, that was a priority. Like, that was the, the top of the list priority to have any movement in this issue as far as the city and county were concerned, for those entities to back away from having the responsibility of appointing members to this board. Yeah, it's one thing to get the recommendations, which you said was a pretty extensive, exhaustive report. Mm -hmm. It's another to enacting these recommendations. And when the very first thing on the recommendation list toward helping this issue is restructuring the whole leadership of this. That's a pretty tall ask. It's big, but there's, right now, the city is the collaborative applicant. They're the lead agency for the continuum of care. And as far as I can tell, and from talking with Emily Ball, that isn't going to change. You're saying that maybe it wouldn't be they would completely be out of the equation, but they would just appoint fewer and that other entities, are we talking about nonprofits in town that work with homeless populations, or who else would take on a leadership role in terms of this city-county collaboration? The Alliance recommended that the Continuum of Care Board should include partner systems of care, service providers, and local government, community stakeholders, and people with lived experience, which is essential to have people who have experienced homelessness in the room helping to make these decisions. And this is already happening. The Homeless Initiative Advisory Committee, or HIAC, has people with lived experience on the board. It has members who are leaders in the community in terms of homeless service providers. But I think the Alliance seems to be calling for a restructuring of the board, updating the charter. In the report, they say a strong, effective, and representative continuum of care board needs members who are invested beyond just trying to please constituents. What is not happening with this continuum of care that at least the Alliance believes should be happening? I think they're calling for more communication between our service providers in Asheville. 
There are, there's systems like the Homelessness Management Information System. It's the local information technology system used to collect data. It's required by the Department of Housing and Urban Development, which is what requires Asheville and Buncombe County to have a continuum of care in order to receive federal funding. The Alliance said that Asheville's participation in the HMIS system is low. So they want to see more entities putting their data through this system. Among their other top priorities is system improvements to coordinated entry, which is the centralized assessment process for people experiencing homelessness. So when people come into the system, how are they being served? Where are they being directed to? It just seems to be calling for more communication among these providers. I was talking with Emily Ball. She's the Homeless Strategy Division Manager for the city. And I was asking her questions after the report came out. And I said something like, are you all going to be able to fix this? And she made it clear to me, it's not just the city's problem. It's not just Buncombe County's problem as governmental entities. This is a community-wide conversation. And this is the continuum of care is about the entire community. It's not just about governmental entities. If you want to comment about this or any other episode of The Overlook, or if you have thoughts about a topic I should cover here, just leave your voice on The Overlook line. That's 984-278-7301. 984-278-7301. Your comments might appear on a future episode of The Overlook. Local officials have stated a goal of reducing homelessness here by 50% by 2025. I began the second half of my conversation with Sarah Hanoski by asking whether this goal just sounds like a nice round number and the keys for fulfilling it. So the Alliance kind of listed eight priorities that should be the first steps towards this goal. This was a massive report. It had 30 multi-pronged recommendations. But they did outline kind of the first things that the city and the county can turn to. These are already being discussed by HIAC. They had a meeting where they officially adopted that recommendation. So they have adopted the North Star of reducing homelessness by 50% in the next two years. And they also created work groups, which are taking on some of these key priorities and moving forward with them. And like you mentioned, that first priority named by the Alliance is improving system governance. So restructuring the continuum of care, which ultimately is going to fall to them to decide what that is going to look like. They can look at models in other cities and they're gonna make choices as a work group. I think they're bringing in people who aren't on HIAC right now, other stakeholders in the community to be on these work groups. They also formed a work group relating to encampments. I was just going to ask about that, that there's an encampment resolution policy, or at least that was a recommendation that they come up with an encampment resolution policy aside from the one that the Asheville police have. And apparently, from what your story is, there has been, up to this point, no policy. As I understand, right now, the city and county don't have a specific set of policies aside from that policy held by the Asheville Police Department, which dated back to 2014. Last year, they updated it. But yeah, implementing an encampment resolution policy is one of the first priorities. In the report, they said the intent would be to reduce negative impacts of enforcement. Everyone handles encampments differently. Every city, every locality, it's illegal to camp on city property. But when encampments are cleared, the thing that I hear again and again is that the people who are cleared don't have anywhere to go. Mike Desario, he's the outreach program manager for Homeward Bound, 
which does a lot of this work in the community, he called it musical chairs. Encampments are cleared, people move further to the outskirts of the city, they try to move further out of the way, but there isn't, in some cases, there isn't the shelter space for them to go. Or there's barriers to access, you know, shelter space that might be available, whether that's not wanting to leave a partner, whether that's substance use, or mental health, or just not feeling safe in those environments. There's a lot of things that keep people from feeling comfortable in those environments, even when they can access them. It's interesting that you said every place has its own policies for dealing with encampments. Encampments seem to be one of the most public-facing element of homelessness in this region. Up to this point, the only entity at a governmental level locally that's had an encampment policy is the Asheville Police. By bringing in other entities to create policy, is the hope to work with police on mitigating their policy or making the police policy less heavy-handed or law enforcement-handed? Or is it to have almost a competing or conflicting policy? How, what's the aim here in relation to Asheville Police's encampment policy? That's an interesting question, and it's something I'm also really eager to find out. It seems like they're in such early stages. I don't know how this is going to interact and shape around APD's policy, or if APD will be a voice in this conversation, but I do know this is first on their list, especially, like you said, encampments are really public-facing. The clearings are really public-facing. I feel like they cause a lot of distress for all parties, whether that is someone in the encampment. Also, the public is often pretty vocal about encampments for better or worse. One of the things that you also brought up in your story was about rapid rehousing. Can you explain what that is? And one of the things you mentioned in your story is that there are only 41 rapid rehousing spots available now. The recommendation from the Alliance was that there are 250 spots. First, explain what rapid rehousing is and how it works. Rapid rehousing provides rental assistance for up to 24 months and services designed to quickly rehouse and stabilize individuals and families. So it's not just getting someone into housing, it's wrapping those services around them so that when they're there, they have a higher likelihood of success maintaining housing, staying in housing, finding more housing options in the future. That's a big piece of it because the goal is always housing. And in Asheville, there's two projects that are slated to come online in the next year or so that are going to offer permanent supportive housing. And that is Homeward Bound's Days Inn project, and that is the Ramada Inn. You've written about both of these. In detail, the Ramada Inn is a conversion of 113 units or hotel units to permanent housing. Where do we stand on that one right now? Who's overseeing that project? So that project is led by two California-based organizations, a for-profit developer, Shangri-La Industries, in partnership with a nonprofit, Step Up Inc. They gave an update at the February 9th HIAC meeting and they've broken ground, but they were supposed to be beginning construction here soon, and it looks like they're going to be beginning construction in March, which shifts the target date later, possibly to be finished by the end of 2023. And this project, I noticed you've had bylines in this subject going back a year ago. It, has this project seen continual delays, or is it just, that, just the way the timeline goes on these things? This project has taken on a couple different forms. In December 2021, the city made a quick pivot away from purchasing this property 
which it intended to transform into a high-access homeless shelter, and instead it authorized the assignment of its contract to purchase the property to Shangri-La. Was this one of those projects where neighbors spoke up in concern, almost like a NIMBY, I, we don't want this in my backyard. Is this one happening to this project, or has that happened to the Ramada Inn? There was some outcry from hotel's neighbors, and also uncertainty from financial partners, and the city ultimately canceled plans to move forward with the Low Barrier Homeless Shelter. But there are a lot of organizations, I think specifically Beloved Asheville, which Amy Cantrell is co-director of that nonprofit, who have been saying the city desperately needs emergency shelter. Talk about the Days In project. What's happening there? How does that differ in scope or the way it's being done from the Ramada Inn? So Days In is 85 permanent housing units. Homeward Bound is renovating a almost three-acre property on Tunnel Road. And this permanent supportive housing project is the first of its kind in Western North Carolina, and then the Ramada Inn to follow. And they're transforming a 1960s motel into 85 units of permanent supportive housing. So this would be combined about 200 units of permanent housing. That would be, from what you're telling me in these numbers of what we're dealing with homelessness, that the point in count time had 637, assuming that among those 637, there are 200 who would qualify and want this permanent housing, that would take a third, nearly a third of those numbers down. It could certainly be game changing. When the Alliance was giving their report, this is something a lot of people were looking to on the horizon, as we don't know what Asheville and Buckham County's numbers are gonna look like, and this could potentially trigger a shift. The latest point in time count was held on January 31st, 2023, and we don't have the data from that yet. We're going to get it in the spring. And when we do, I think a lot of people will really be really anxious to see what has changed from the year prior. Last thing I want to ask you about this, unless there's a, another thing you want to talk about it, you have covered the, there's an open question of whether other cities are busing homeless people into Asheville. I've personally heard from a realtor in town. She has experienced homeless on her steps, and the police who come out there have told her, oh yeah, these people are being bussed in from elsewhere. You had a story that contradicts that. Talk about what your findings were. That's a very common story in Asheville, and what I found out talking to people is it's a pretty common story everywhere. What do you mean it's a common story? Other cities believe that other cities are busing their homeless into their cities? Everybody thinks that their unhoused population is being busted into their city. That's a generalization, but that seems to be what the service providers I spoke with are also hearing. A lot of them have been hearing that the entirety of their careers in homeless services. I spoke with almost a dozen homeless services providers in Asheville and elsewhere. I spoke with some other leaders in continuum of cares in North Carolina, like Rachel Waltz. She's the Orange County Homeless Programs Manager. Katrina Knight, she's an executive director of a center in Wilmington. They hear these rumors. Rachel Waltz called it a long-standing and pernicious rumor. Why do they believe it? How do they know it's not happening? How did you find out that it's not? One, everyone I spoke with said they've never seen this happen. They're out talking with people probably every day, depending on the level of outreach they're involved in, they're not seeing a concerted, concentrated busing effort from community to community. The, all, the other aspect of this is that the data just doesn't back it up. So I asked these homeless services providers where they think this story is coming from. And there are similar strategies that are part of diversion tactics, which involve working with someone who's experiencing homelessness to try to find solutions. Occasionally, that means reconnecting them with, to friends and families in other communities, which could mean buying them a bus ticket to reconnect with the friends and family. 
But Emily Ball made it clear that buying a ticket to reunite someone with a support system is different than taking someone who's experiencing houselessness and sending them to experience houselessness somewhere else. She said she's never seen that happening in our community, but she gets calls from other communities who are saying that Asheville is sending our people experiencing homelessness to their communities. So it's, it's just a narrative that has a pretty ingrained place in our culture. Maybe it would take a sociologist to answer this question, but why? I asked why people think this has such a hold on us, and everybody gave me a pretty similar response. Ball said that it's hard to see people who are on the verge of homelessness, and as a society, perhaps we lack the understanding of how close people are to slipping into houselessness, especially in a region that struggles with affordability, with such high rents, with incredibly complicated housing market. Waltz said she believes the story is rooted in desire to make sense of what we see and how painful that is. And there's a cognizant dissonance. If the people who are experiencing homelessness in Asheville are not members of our community, it's easier to separate yourself from that story. It's really hard to see people in pain. It's really hard to see people suffering. And if you can say they aren't from here, there's a level of separation. But the way, you know, that conversation with so many people ended was with optimism, especially in the wake of the Alliance report. One homeless services provider said Asheville has a new opportunity to come together, to move away from these myths, and to find a way forward. I want to thank Sarah Hanoski of the Asheville Citizen Times as my guest today. The Asheville band The Resonant Rogues is allowing me to use their maker song as the theme music of The Overlook. The Overlook is a product of Podcast Asheville. New episodes are online 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday. Please follow for free on your favorite podcasting app. I'm Matt Pikin, and I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook.